Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your sad girls. I had a dream about this podcast for the first time. Wowee. I love a, I love a real life dream about real life stuff. It's very adult and very stressful sometimes. Well, you have nightmares. I don't. Oh, so. right. Just <laughs> definitely not projecting my own issues onto you. Do do go on. Well, in my dream, I mean, it was kind of a nightmare because I looked at our reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can't leave a review on Spotify. You can leave stars. But Apple is like the second most popular podcasting platform. And that one allows written reviews. And in my dream, we had multiple male reviews that were negative, that were like, these bitches are so annoying and this content is so stupid. And it made me go online and be like, guys, I need better reviews. And this is not a fake story. This was waking up and being like, oh, yeah, we haven't asked for reviews in a while and a reminder that we should. So thank you, Subconscious, because it really helps the podcast grow. Yes. But there are no negative reviews right now. I don't believe in, like, knock on wood, can't jinx it. I don't oh. believe in that stuff. Also, it's the internet. It's inevitably going to happen where we're going to have some incel that tells us we should die and we deserve horrible things to happen to us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that happens all the time on the meme page. Exactly. Fortunately, a podcast requires a little more, um, I feel like, some patience wanting to listen to something and educate yourself. I don't feel like incels will do that. It's not even about them listening. It's about one dude listening and then telling all his incel friends to be like, go yes. review bomb this podcast. That's true. These, these bitches are saying that blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And then that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. So we won't make that dream a reality, but we will make the dream of having a few more positive reviews. The ones that are there already make my heart sore. Yeah. And we had a submission as well of a bad date story. Yes. This one is a doozy. Oh, goodness. That word should be, I thought it should be retired. It's like a silly old-fashioned word. I love silly old-fashioned words. Like, got the morbs. That's like one of my favorite memes. What does that mean? <laughs> when you got the morbs, it means like you're sad. Oh. Like, like uh, morbid. man, I got the morbs. Just feeling really depressed. So this is a bad first date story. And yeah, no better word than doozy could describe it. She says, I'm in my 30s now, but back when I was 18, I met a guy from MySpace who lived pretty far from me. I think his brother owned an apartment in the city and he was staying there for the weekend and asked me to meet him at a bar for a drink, date, whatever. He was quite a bit older than me and I thought this was going to be a great date. LOLOLOL, the drags. <laughs> extend there very ominous beginning yeah meeting at a bar when you're 18 too it's like is this like a chilly situation where like everyone can go kind of bar or is it like a or is it like a bar bar and also meeting on myspace is great yeah so, i'm trying to do math i'm like okay yeah she's in her 30s now so that was the right time to be on myspace yeah I feel. on my way to meet him i get a message saying a friend has turned up at his door in a total state because his girlfriend had just dumped him and would it be okay for him to come along of course i say yes because i'm 18 and don't know that saying no is an option well and you want to be cool yeah i get that i would also feel weird about saying like no i want to just go on a date with you ditch your friend quick sidebar that happened to me when i was dating oh. this guy in high school where i was like trying so hard to be cool he was very not cool, by the way. I don't know what I was trying for. And a bunch of his friends, because his mom was out of time, was like, oh, let's go over and we're going to party and stuff. He's like, is it cool if they come over? And I was like, yeah, sure, totally. And then the next day I was like, yeah, like I kind of wish they wouldn't. I was just kind of looking forward to like just us hanging out. He's like, I wish we would have said something because yeah. I was feeling the same way. And Aww. I didn't want them to come over either, but I didn't want to be like mean to them. And I was like, dang it. I think you get better at that as you get older. I was supposed to hang out one-on-one -on -one with an old friend, and no, I don't want to get into that story. We need to keep our flow going. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Tangents. Too many, too many tangents. tangents. Okay. That's for later. She doesn't know that saying no is an option because she's young. So I turn up at the bar, and his friend is already absolutely smashed, falling all over the place. Oh, God. My date, quote-unquote, and I are trying to have conversation and chat, etc., then out the corner of my eye, I can see the friend pissing into an empty pint glass he had taken from the bar. I'm in shock. He then signals to my quote-unquote date, and I watch him, and he drinks the whole pint of piss. Wait, her date the does? The whole pint. No, the friend. Oh, my God. The friend signals. He's like, watch me do this. And after he pisses into the pint, he drinks it. She says, I cannot believe my eyes. I then had felt like I had no option but to get incredibly drunk. 
Valid. Um, after that point, yeah, I'm, it's smash time. We end up in a nightclub across the street where I get even more drunk and end up getting thrown out because I was in the bathroom for so long crying about my ex, who I had not long broken up with, that the bouncers thought I was taking drugs or being sick. See, this is discrimination against crying in the club, okay? She says, Bullshit. I will, I will never, ever forget this tape. Let's again picture the friend at what's probably like an Applebee's pissing into a pint and then drinking the entire thing. This is personal just because I'm English. I just imagine this person is English. This sounds like the most English story <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. And the fact that she was 18, that's Ooh, the drinking age. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, clubs, might not you have been can, here. clubs you can get into at 18 here. I mean, they're terrible, but you, you can. Yeah. So um, And also just getting so smashed, you like piss into a glass and be like, Oi, bruv, watch me drink my piss. <laughs> like that just, that just screams England to me, this entire story, <laughs> which changes my viewpoint on it completely. As well, where I'm just like, ah, yes, this was a shit show from the beginning. This is like, like when people are like, oh, Florida, these things happen in Florida. These things these happen things in happen England. In and again, I can say this: I am right. English, yeah. and I had an ex from East London. Which, if you are a British listener, you, uh, you feel me. You know. Well, I told her also that you'd been kicked out of a club for crying and that I had been kicked out for putting my head down on a table and falling asleep for a couple minutes, which is more understandable. But like in my case, the bouncer thought I was like loaded on heroin or something, which was not true. So look, sleepy bitches exist. Sad, sleepy bitches. That's discrimination against sad, sleepy women all around. Yeah. I was literally just having a panic attack and freaking out and crying. I had, yeah. I'd only had like three drinks. I wasn't right. even... I mean, for me, that's not a lot. I realized for some people, like, three drinks. <laughs> no, that's like, nothing. <laughs> like, I'm just getting started at three. Don't judge me. It's fine. Everything's great. I'm having the best time. Yep. That is definitely a doozy. Oh, my God. I know. I'm guessing there wasn't a second it. date. Uh, <laughs> considering date was in quotes every time. No, I would think. Yes, would definitely think not. not. Oh, man. Not, Thank no. you for sharing, because woof. I know. You know what? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, man, I had some bad first dates. Nope. No. The two we've had, those two submissions. I'm like, Jesus. Oh, and you can say what they both had in common, which is men pissing in public. <gasps> they do like to piss, especially when yeah. they get fucked up. Yeah. They're like, you know what time it is? Pissing time. Piss time. The last guy was walking down the street with his dick hanging out of his pants, no hands pissing, and this one was in public in a bar. Pissing. Hmm. Well, we found our theme. Yeah, bad dates. And I will say this is a theme that continues on as someone that uh, deals with old men. Oh, they yeah. love pissing in inappropriate places. Is it a power play? I just think they're just obsessed with their dicks. Mm, true, true. Well, on that charming note, um, we should get into our subject <laughs> of the day, which turned out to be really interesting and a lot of fun. We're going to talk about sexism in fashion and throughout history. We're going to go through pockets and harmful clothing and current world conditions in the fashion industry. We both said, quote unquote, we thought this would be an easy episode yeah, <laughs> to do. Two hours of research minimum. Yeah. It's fun, though. I'm, I'm amazed by how little I know about these topics that where it's like I kind of understand, sure, pockets have a sexist history the hymen isn't really an indicator of virginity but once you go a little deeper it's just there's so much more that we don't know and don't talk about and we should be educated so we can throw it in men's faces yeah but it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) it makes no difference in our Um, lives once we start talking too much i think their ears just stop up i posted something about pockets being sexist and a male commenter was like that's not real shut the fuck up and i gave him some response well i'm literally saying it is and he came back at me and then i just said very calmly not even raging i was like there's an article called the sexist history pockets from it was like the new york times or something very valid and then i referenced another one and said please don't respond to my comment until you have read these articles and he did not respond of course not because I wasn't making anything up. I was just citing legitimate sources. I know. I feel like a lot of times men just want to be victims so bad. And anytime we bring up like, hey, this is an issue. They're like, well, what about... It? Again, oh, they only bring up what about men yeah. when women are like, hey, <laughs> things aren't awesome Will sometimes. please think of the men? For once. Please. In this godforsaken world, someone <laughs> think of the men. We're going to start with gendered clothing and early 14th century information from Alexis. Yeah. So, I mean, as we talked about, most of this content comes from the fact that clothing is now gendered, especially in Western society. But it wasn't until about the 14th century that, I mean, it was up until the 14th century that men and women basically wore the same clothes. Like, clothing was not gendered. You were lucky if you even got enough material to make very intricate clothing, because obviously the higher class you were, you got, you know, really cool clothes. But the lower class people, it's just, I need something to cover up my stuff. A sack. Yeah. (laughs) 
So most of it was skirts, actually, and like robes and dresses and things that weren't trouser related, things that weren't restrictive to your legs because that was easy to do. And you had more mobility, which totally makes sense because that's why I wear dresses and skirts half the time. It's like, I'm not trying to be feminine. Yeah. Just want to move. So for everyone up until a point, it was skirts. Yeah. Everyone wore skirts. Everybody. Of like higher class, lower class, men, women, children, everyone wore skirts because it was easy. It's an easy material just to wrap around. Right. You just tie it. You got mobility. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. And it wasn't until horseback riding became more mm. of a thing that everyone did sort of like travel wise or whatever. So it wasn't until horseback riding became more prevalent that trousers became a clothing staple. And because it was horseback riding, because it was this kind of work, who did it? The men. So that's when it became okay. gendered where it's, I need to wear pants to ride this horse, but only men really rode horses because heaven forbid a, a woman straddle something that's not her husband. <laughs> so it was up until, it was until the 14th century that the pants Every, yeah. came into vogue. Okay. So yeah. it's like so the 1300s. I know. You always have to do like I'm, one I negative. I switched all of mine from century to whatever hundreds because I can't. Yes. Brain stuff. Yes. So the, the 1300s. I get it. Like we're in the 21st century because we're getting up. It is the 20. I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah. It does take a second. Mm -hmm. I feel like usually. So. Yeah. Okay. So 1300s. Yes. back riding trousers. Yes. So that's when that became a gendered thing. Because yeah. if you're wearing pants, you're riding a horse. It is not easy to ride a horse in a skirt. No. No, no definitely not. I wouldn't want to try. That's side, for sure. And side saddle is less practical all around. Apparently, riding side saddle is super <laughs> terrible for you, like your bones yeah, wise. Right, right, right. It's super bad. Con twisting, contorting. Yeah, to face and then the front it's just all that impact, and mm. you're having to like work harder to keep on the horse yeah. because you're gonna fall off. Bad news. Bad news all around. Um, another fun fact I saw was we can blame the 19th century trend of breaching for the birth of gendered clothing. So breaching meant giving your son between the ages of four and seven their first pair of trousers or breeches oh. to show off to society that they'd be like gone beyond infancy and they're now a man <laughs> at the ripe old age of four yeah, or got, seven they got pants right so this is a fun western man rite of passage thing for a tiny barely a toddler yeah you're four to seven years old now you're a man so and this was also a really sad fact Breaching also marked the point in a young boy's life when his father would actually become involved in raising him. Mm, sure. So She'd basically, never done before. No. Before that, the dad was like, you got this, right, wife? You just take care of them at their worst ages possible <laughs> when they're crying and shitting and having tantrums and going to the terrible twos and all the awful stuff. When they get in the pants, then I'll start giving a shit about my male heir. And they start getting kind of cute. Yeah. Well, and they can do more stuff for themselves. They're not as... Dependent. Dependent. Yes. Yeah. So, yay. Patriarchy. <laughs> yay. <laughs> um, but something else to think about, the fact that we consider skirts and dresses to be feminine is very Western-centric, where in a lot of the other parts of the world, even today, they still wear what we would consider, quote-unquote, like a skirt or a dress, but it's mostly like robes. Like when you think about monks and places in Southeast Asia and in Japan, a lot of other places in the world, they still wear essentially skirts because again you have more mobility and it's easier to make so the fact that we think of pants as being masculine is very eurocentric and western centric which is something that we need to think about as well when we talk about a lot of this gendered stuff as well with clothing and what what our ideas of masculinity are yeah well an extension of clothing being gendered is the disparity between Male and female clothing containing pockets. Pockets! Pockets, pockets, pockets. There's like a viral TikTok about pockets that is very catchy. And I'm going to post it somewhere so you can sing it too. It's fun. But we all know that women's clothes do not have pockets traditionally. Or if they do, they're very inadequate. And I'm going to talk about the history of that because it's become kind of a trope now. And it's just interesting to go back to where that came from. Before the 1600s, tie in pocket. And by the way, this is talking about Western civilizations and clothing, like starting in Europe and the UK, and then this obviously moved to the United States. So before the 1600s, tie in pockets were the thing. They weren't actually called that, but that's what we refer to them now. And it's like, like kind of like a fanny pack, but they would more commonly go inside your clothes. 
So they're actually more similar to a fanny pack or a purse than a pocket because they were separate. So you could untie your quote unquote pocket and remove it from your clothing. Around this time, sewn in pockets became a thing. That's more like what we have now, but we only did that for men. They didn't sew pockets into women's clothes. They had much more voluptuous skirts and they could easily fit a pouch. And women would carry everything. There are some records of like one of Jack the Ripper's victims has cattle, like there was a reported catalog of everything that was in her tie-in pocket. And it was like bread, soap, <laughs> like everything you could have in your purse, including purse snacks. That's what I think so <laughs> funny about this because it's every woman I know has like so much stuff on them at all times because you have yes, to be prepared. You do have to be prepared. But we never got the stone in pockets. And that was fine with people. They didn't mind because they had their tie-in pocket. But then women's dresses changed in the early 1800s. If you have seen Pride and Prejudice, then you can probably picture the like higher sort of bust and then the slimmer the, fit. The empire waist or empile if you want to be an <laughs> asshole. So the one the basically the where it's like right below the boobs, right? Yeah, right. Where, yeah. Yes. Yeah. This became more trendy. And then we didn't have enough skirt space for the same size tie-in pockets. Could we have slimmed down those tie-in pockets to accommodate that? Probably. But we were already starting to focus on keeping women as slim as possible. I got to keep them small and unthreatening. Absolutely. Then we got into the reticule, which was more like a purse. It was on the outside of your clothes. It was cute, embroidered. That was meant to be seen. Tie-in pockets weren't cute. Reticules were super cute. They were a vibe. I learned also that... Fashion dolls predated fashion magazines. Fashion dolls were like kind of like Barbies. They were toys for children or would be used as collectibles for adults. And before we had magazines, then the dolls would wear the clothing at the time. So it's like how we have a sense of what was popular. And then fashion magazines became more popular during the 1700s and into the 1800s. So there were fashion journalists and they were writing about reticules as like, tie-in pockets are done, guys. We're on to the reticule. <laughs> Those are so last year. They were. <laughs> Those but, are like so last decade. <laughs> but reticules were tiny and impractical. So already women hated that. And throughout all these years, pockets are getting better for men's clothes because tailors have more and more practice. Now they are getting bigger and better pockets. And women. What are they even carrying? Guns. <laughs> but they have holsters for that. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what are they carrying other than weaponry of which there is completely different? Pocket watch, wallet, I guess. I don't know what the 1800s man carried in his pocket, to be honest. Stupid. Yes. Women's clothes were never practical. They were never meant to be practical. We're not wearing pants at all through all of this. We're still in dresses. In fact, in the 1830s, when women were working during the Industrial Revolution, their skirts would get tangled in machinery and women died that way. Yeah, and part of my history, too, I was looking up sort of oppressive clothing. Yes. And one of them, a big popular thing around this time, too, was the crinoline, which is basically those cage cages you see for like yeah. the big skirts where it just looks like a weird... Petty. It's like the petticoat. It's like a petticoat, but it's like harder and it looks sort of like a cage and you put your skirt on top of it to have yeah. like a really big skirt situation happening and because this was pre-electricity there was candles and fire everywhere so they'd be walking around with this giant skirt which you can't you know keep track of that and it would catch on fire and women would die i'm only <laughs> laughing because it's so terrible that is so terrible you just like catch on fire and like what are you gonna do get out of this thing that took you two hours to get into <laughs> like no you're dead but yeah women would get out of their carriages and they would trip and fall this might be why men started offering their hand to the ladies because they had these very impractical clothing all throughout history in the mid to late 1800s we we saw the beginning of the dress reform movement. This was part of first wave feminism and suffrage movement. It was mostly middle and upper class women who had the time and the means to get involved in this activism. I think if you were lower class, you were just focused on survival and probably not rocking the boat because, you know, you just want to eat that night. Right. You yeah. just want to feed your children and eat yeah. and have a roof over your head. You'll wear a dress if you have to right. because... Don't, yeah, don't put me in jail, please. Just I'll wear whatever you want. Exactly. But dress reformers were asking for healthier alternatives to corsets and to crinolines. And in 1851, there was a woman, Elizabeth Smith Miller. She was the daughter of a wealthy abolitionist. So she had, she had privilege. Like she was white and she was privileged. 
she is quoted as saying, While spending many hours at work in the garden, I became so thoroughly disgusted with the long skirt that the dissatisfaction suddenly ripened into the decision that this shackle should no longer be endured. Turkish trousers to the ankle, with a skirt reaching down some four inches below the knee, were substituted for the heavy, untidy, and exasperating old garment. Yeah. Yeah. So she's working in the garden. Mm. Like, she's literally just trying to probably cook for her husband <laughs> right or just maybe she enjoys gardening and sure. so for some people that's a hobby and yeah it's weird but yeah that's the same thing it's like when you're crouching and squatting oh, and yeah, stuff and like it's a just, big heavy skirt even just in a skirt today it's like unless that goes down to the ground you're gonna be you know showing off the goods and this wasn't even an immodest outfit that she chose so turkish trousers the pants were very drapey and they went down around the ankles and then there was a skirt over them it was a two-piece outfit they're very funny looking i will post pictures Wait, but she would show her ankle? No, no, no. They went down. No, they, oh, she didn't show her ankle. God forbid. forbid. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Wow. I would never suggest such a thing. <laughs> and they were perfectly modest. And she even had a skirt over them. But they were still there were still pants involved. And this was scandal. She went out with her cousin, Elizabeth Stanton, and her friend, Amelia Bloomer. Were we about to figure out where Bloomers come from? Perhaps. Uh. <laughs> and they joined her in wearing the new costume. Bloomer was a temperance activist and an abolitionist who had a newspaper specifically for women called The Lily. And she wrote an editorial piece on this costume. They called it The Freedom Dress. That is how we got, yes, the Bloomer. But originally, like, now we think of bloomers as being just, like, under things that are maybe a little shorter below the knee and drapier, but originally there was a skirt over them as well. Even more modest. Bloomerism came to be associated with deviant behaviors for women. I looked this up, too, where they just assumed you were, like... A whore. (laughs) Yeah, they just assumed you were, like, a rebel. (laughs) Yeah, it was associated with smoking, drinking, gambling, serving in the military... She spits out her tea. Oh my. And abandoning husbands and children. It's a slippery slope, guys, from not wearing a skirt to abandoning just, husbands and children. Yes, becoming a lesbian and worshipping Satan. But yes. just immediate. Yes. Bloomer would say that wearing traditionally male garments would suggest to people it was like a usurping of the rights of men. Like we're trying to become them or take something from them. Suffragettes wore bloomers as well, and so they were associated with this movement. It was associated with women's rights all around, and bloomerism didn't last. It didn't really take off, but in 1881 in the UK, the Rational Dress Society formed, which was an organization petitioning for normal clothes that do not hurt your body and make sense to wear. But how are we supposed to oppress women if we're not having to, you know, make them physically uncomfortable and putting their lives at risk for fashion? I can't imagine. That would be crazy. What do they want? Rights? Yeah, there was also a note about bloomerism making people fear that women would want to uh, have the right to vote, which didn't actually happen until August 18 of 1920. (laughs) Yeah. So everyone, please, please. None of this stuff is that new. That's what pisses me off. Yeah, we just women of rights. Like, first of all. Not since a um, hundred years ago, which isn't that long in the grand scheme of things. No. Not considering how long men have had the right to vote, which was uh, always. Uh, forever. Yeah, forever. In 1910, there was a New York Times article called Plenty of Pockets in Suffragette Suit. <laughs> and it was a fear-mongering article about women having pockets. Having in and wearing pants, importantly as well, and and yes, with having so there was a pockets are just something they really want to impress us with, isn't it? There was a quote that uh, the suit has seven or eight pockets, all in sight and all easy to find, even for the wearer. There was this sense that the pockets were very private. Pockets are for you because, like, the tie-in purses, they were going to come out off of your person at some point. They could be cut off. They could also be pickpocketed more easily than sewn-in pockets. But whatever is in your sewn-in pocket isn't on display, and there was a fear. There was a concern. What are they going to put in there? Rights to vote? <laughs> Birth control? <laughs> Contraceptives? Snacks? <laughs> oh, yeah, and you were also going to talk about the corsets around this time finally got out of fashion. Yeah, it wasn't until about, and again, corsets never went away. No. They're still around today. Waist trainers, guys. Yeah, it's they're still around, but it wasn't until about the 1910s where they became not the norm to wear. Right. Like, it became, A, uncool. Like, a lot of the big fashion houses of the time started developing around this time, and they started making clothes that didn't require wearing a corset as part of the 
integral part of the the fashion. And again, it was considered like it's old. It's like new trendy thing to not wear a corset. And more women were talking about clothing. We were like starting to a little bit get rights. And we were like, hey, that stuff's not comfortable. And they said, ah, yes. So we were just (laughs) starting to be like, oh, you have feelings and uh, (laughs) nerve endings and these things aren't comfortable. And then also the thing with the corsets, too, was this was around World War One. So materials were much more, they were like harder to obtain and to get. Yeah, and there was scarce. Women were going, starting to go into the workforce because like, I don't have time to put on this business. No. <laughs> this is ridiculous. That was when women were actually allowed to work. And also, yes, that was when more women were able to wear pants and have pockets was during World War One and Two. Like when you see Rosie the Riveter imagery, they're not wearing giant skirts because they're literally working on machinery. Right. And we need them. We can't lose them like in the Industrial Revolution in the 1800s where it's like, oh, we could spare a woman here and there. We needed every last worker. Yes. What about, um, I didn't do any reading about this, but you had a note about high heels. Do you know when they came in and out of vogue? Well, high heels have always been that's in true. fashion. They're still. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There was some that were a little bit worse. It seems in the past, the ones that were like really crazy, that were super restrictive and basically hindered mobility were geared towards women. I saw one that was like a, a foot high, basically platform that was for, oh. for women. And they would even have, if they were upper class, we'd have like their servants have to like help them walk because it's basically stilts. Oh dear. They weren't super sturdy. They were like shapely platforms uh-huh. and you could barely walk on them. So basically any sort of clothing or accessories that limited your mobility showed that it was also a class thing, right? Like if you have really restrictive clothing and really ridiculous clothing that you can't move around in, it showed I don't have to move around because I'm not a laborer right. and I'm upper class and I don't, I just need to look pretty. I don't need to be functional. The thing of trends has always been what can upper, the upper echelon of people, like the rich people get. If it's hard to obtain as someone that's lower class, then that's going to be trendy. Yeah, and also that our ideal status for women is to be ornamental. And we only put them in clothes that they can move in if we have to have them working for us to serve us. Correct. Like I was mentioning, World War One and Two, we did start seeing clothes that had pockets in it for women out of necessity. I will say that I thought going into this that the pocket restriction was more like we don't need to give women space to carry things because what could they possibly have to carry But originally, that wasn't the concern. They did have these big purses. It's more about making women look better. Like, we don't want to put pockets on the side of their slender pants because it will make their hips look bigger and look more bulky. And when we've had clothes that had fuller skirts, like in the 50s, they were more likely to have pockets because you could fit pockets in there. So it's really just fashion over function for women, which has never been the case for men. They have always been allowed to have both fashion and function and their clothes are definitely less varied in style but you're never going to see men's pants without pockets they wouldn't no one would stand for that no be riots in the streets (laughs) give us our pockets that's what we should be doing guys we should be rioting we like the french and just burn things we get our pockets we don't really do that here well that's because you know in the 60s and stuff when we started doing that they would just get the freaking military and send it to your college campus and then open fire on you at like kent state and they would literally kill you we do have a lot of that we are quite um, militarized yes yes so okay fair americans fair i get it we want to burn things down but we don't. And honestly, I would never, I'm not, I'm not a burn to the ground kind of girl. I do not join in those things. I'm sorry. I would just, I just look at it and it's like, oh, the world's so exhausting. Well, they want it to be exhausting so that you don't burn it down. Yeah. You gotta well, fight the man by burning it down. Okay. If you guys start, I will think about joining. Okay, cool. And, Got it. Yeah. Good okay. plan. <laughs> also in the 60s, blue jeans became more popular and originally did have decent pocket so that was nice um but purse sales also have become a reason for not giving women pockets because designers will look at or brands will look at how much money do we make off of purses versus having clothes with pockets so just trying to get more money out of us they are they really are yeah oh and then you had a note when was it that pants were actually even legal so it was (laughs) what a funny thing to say i know until pants were legal it was until the 1940s you could be arrested and sent to jail for wearing pants as a woman. That's insane. So you could have criminal action against you until the 1940s, which again, guys, it seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. No. Another thing that I talk about with women's clothing nowadays that's sort of a, a remnant of the past is, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, and by a lot of people I mean men, um, <laughs> our <laughs> buttons are on a different side of, like when you have a button-up shirt, women's buttons are on the left-hand side and men's are on the right-hand side. So unless you're left-handed, which is really cool, 
Um, it's really, it's a lot harder for you to button your shirt as a woman because the buttons are on, quote unquote, the wrong side. Um, and this happened, they think, they actually don't know exactly why this was a thing, but the prevailing theory is that for, again, upper class women, they weren't dressing themselves. It took too much time and effort and there was too many like moving parts for them to dress themselves. So when they had their maids dress them, they had it on the other side. So it'd be easier for the maid to button their shirt, which made sense. That's nice of them to be considerate of the maid to do that. Yes. Because heaven forbid a rich person unbutton their own shirt. Heaven forbid. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm just used to it now with my work clothes. I have a button up one and I can just do it with my left hand in like two seconds. So I think if it switched, I would be, You've I would be a bit lost. The skill. But it's still, considering the vast majority of people are right-handed. Again, no offense to my lefties. I have a lot of lefties. I have lefties in my family, okay? Lefty <laughs> kings and queens. I heard a theory about that as well, which is kind of silly, but maybe it's true, that there's a scripture in the Bible saying that women are not meant to dress as men, and I think also that men are not meant to dress as women. So it was a way for them to differentiate men and women's clothing when they were first manufacturing it to stay true to the word of the Lord. And that sounds so wacky, but everything in the Bible is wacky that wouldn't really shock me I if mean, that was the case. Yeah, most Abrahamic religions are like, what if you just, just women are gross mm -hmm. and we need to other them so much and they are disgusting and... Don't be anything like them because then you're gross and disgusting too. That's in line with pants is if women, if women wear pants, then now they're cross-dressing. Right. Speak. That's it's just for the boys. And again, this is just Western societies. This is not everywhere. Women were allowed to wear slacks and pantsuits in the federal agencies like in the Pentagon and the FBI in the 1970s. It was not allowed until then. And then there was an informal rule until the 90s that women couldn't wear pants and they weren't wearing like jeans i'm talking about pantsuits and like formal... formal yeah like business attire yes exactly um on the slacks <laughs> one might say <laughs> one might Tr say. trousers or slacks perhaps um that was not allowed on the senate floor until the early 90s this wasn't a written rule but it was so clear to people when women first began entering Congress, which was in 1916, when Jeanette Rankin was elected to the House of Representatives, they would purposefully dress in dark colors and conservative cuts to avoid drawing attention to themselves, which makes total sense. Like, right. I don't want to be othered. I want to be exactly. equal. And if men are going to judge you for wearing pants in a place where you already are such an outsider, then... Obviously, you are not going to do that. And then in the 1940s, when women began serving in the House in larger numbers, there were two representatives. One was a man, one was a woman. Um, one was Mary Norton, who were known to patrol the fashion choices of other female representatives. A historian for the House of Representatives said, if Congresswomen were wearing a dress that Norton considered too frilly, she would go up and she would say something to them. Can you imagine men's clothes being policed in a similar fashion? No, no. But, but I mean, our clothes are constantly policed in right. every institution that we exist in. Like, I want to get into the tangent about being in school. If you wore a tank top, you were distracting the boys. It's like, we're seven. I know. What are you, t why are you sexualizing me? I'm seven. Yeah. Then there were also Senate doorkeepers who could turn people away for any reason if they didn't think they looked appropriate. So even though there wasn't a written out law that women could not wear pants, they did not do it. It was sort of like a manners thing. Yes. Like a societal politeness. In 1989, Rebecca Morgan was the first woman state senator to wear pants on the Senate floor. 1989. Uh, pretty... <laughs> Pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> she was one out of four women in the 40-person California Senate. And the day she wore pants, there were sub-freezing temperatures in NorCal. So again, not a fashion choice, not even meant to be protesting, just cold. Right. I'm just actually cold and I don't want my legs showing. I would like to cover them to, you know, not get frostbite. Weird. Yeah. Crazy. I don't want to be hypothermic, but heaven forbid. In the article that said that, it said dress standards were less rigid in the California State Assembly, where women were more numerous. There were 14 out of 80. The State Assembly, which I didn't know, is the lower house of the California State Legislature, the upper being the Senate. So they were less rigid in their dress code because some of them have been known to appear on the assembly floor in pants. <gasps> they have been known to. Oh, 
Wow, wow, we. Yeah, we're looking at 1989, by the way. Not that long ago. There were a couple of women who then started to wear pants on the Senate floor in 1993. And one of them was a woman who was elected on a platform of women's rights and civil rights. She was also the first black woman to serve as a United States senator. This was, yeah, Carol Mosley Braun. She sounds like a queen. And she wore pants onto the Senate floor. And she said there were audible gasps. (laughs) From the and this is in the nineties, ninety three. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I know. So then it became uh, other women started to do it. Uh, now in protest. Now it wasn't just like I'm cold. It's it's like this is getting ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking of politicians, I am reading about pants and the suffragette <laughs> movement. The pants. Yes, I saw that Hillary Clinton when she was accepting the Democratic nominee wore a white pantsuit which was a nod to the suffragettes. That was our color or lack of, or shade, depends on your opinion. And then she also didn't have pockets and this was because she didn't want to look like she was hiding anything. Politicians' clothes are very symbolic. They choose colors and patterns knowing that people are going to subconsciously be programmed by that oh yeah and i looked at her suit i'm like how do we know they were pockets and they absolutely look like those fake pockets that are sewn shut again going back to that 1910 article where it's like ladies with pockets what are they gonna put in there (laughs) can't trust them (laughs) so she was making a statement stupid. i know (laughs) it's also stupid now we are allowed to wear pants freely let's focus on the positive here we can wear pants. We can wear pants, yes. I just see, I saw the, the journey of pants and pockets align here in terms of women really wanting function and to be given uh, e- equal rights, I guess. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Functional clothes, equal rights. We're asking for a lot, you guys. We still don't see similar size pockets in any of our clothes, but especially in jeans. Interestingly, now there's more of a trend toward a lot of dresses. More often, if they're in a style, I don't know if this is exclusively, but I think we all know when we do have a dress with pockets, it has a fuller skirt. It has yes. more material. Yes. So they're still not willing to put pockets into something slim that would ruin our figure because the emphasis <clears throat> is just so much on what you look like, not what you are capable of doing. Right. And also, yes, driving purse sales if women have pockets, which my sister, by the way, this is like an unintentional feminist slay of hers. She hates purses. She does not. I don't think she even owns one. She always wears pants and her phone is always falling out of her pocket and can barely fit, but she tries to get clothes with pockets and she's not a dresses or skirts kind of person. And I just, I love that. No purses for her. I'm very surprised by this just because of <laughs> her again, traditional. Yeah. She's, she's still pretty religious. Yes, yes. Fortunately, I was not raised with the women have to wear dresses and skirts things. There were modesty rules in, in our church and of in course. church friends' houses of like knees having to be covered, shoulders having to be covered. But in our house, it wasn't quite that rigid. And I, my mom just liked wearing pants and jeans. I think she was working. And... I, was say, I was like, you guys were working class <laughs> people yes. and needed functionality to yes. support yourselves. She literally went and helped um, a church friend who had a logging company because she did so many weird jobs to get by and she was going out with the loggers carrying like parts of trees that they were sawing down (laughs) and you can't do that in a dress she was unintentionally a feminist role model she meant to be traditional i know i I might have told her once but you're like you're a feminist queen and she's like excuse me (laughs) yeah she never she wanted to be a housewife but it didn't work out with my dad so instead she did what she had to and couldn't have done an address but today women's pockets are an average 48 percent shorter than men's and 6.5 percent narrower so at least they're almost as wide but i think we can all agree the depth is the important here, part? It's the important part. And phones are always falling out of our pockets and phones are just getting bigger. Yep. But it's the slim styles that show off our girlish figures that is the most important rather than our ability to be functional, working, voting, ball busting men in society. <laughs> those kind of things that we might do. Did we have functional <laughs> did, pockets? Did we have pockets? Yeah. We'll take over the world. Slippery slope, you guys. And that is my history of pockets. And then Alexis is going to take us through some more current issues relating to sexism in fashion. So the fashion industry in general is, like most industries, even though it is something that we consider to be female-dominated because we think of women as buying more clothes and caring more about clothes, 
it's like most industries where the quote-unquote bottom-level employees are overwhelmingly women and the top CEOs are men. Huh. Yeah, even women's wear companies, it's still men at the top, as per usual. So I got some stats here because I know we like the facts. <laughs> so women designed 40% of women's wear fashion brands. 40% of women's wear has been designed by women. Okay. Which is better than I was expecting, yeah, honestly. Not the majority, but quite a bit. Right. Um, but they only make up about 14% of leadership positions. I... Yep. And a report found that women lead less than 13% of Fortune 1000 retail and apparel companies. And then that went down to, I have a stat somewhere, a much lower number. It was something like 4% in the Fortune 500. It's so, just so funny because these companies are trying to cater to women and get money out of women. So I just, I, you don't even have to be a feminist. Just be practical. Like, why would we not employ women to cater to women and sell our product to them? I mean, a lot they... of what I was reading, and the same thing with most industries, it's just the things that we consider a quote-unquote leadership attributes are male attributes, quote-unquote male attributes, right? So being, like, dominant and confident, even though women can be, but if they are, if a woman does that, it's considered like threatening or they're a bitch or they're bossy or they're this so it's just assuming even if it's inaccurate or not warranted that men are going to be inherently better leaders there is a and it is inaccurate like studies have shown there's a forbes article on how women consistently more fair and successful leaders than men so anyway, what i know <laughs> what about when they're on their period <laughs> right <laughs> what are they gonna do then star, star war <laughs> as i say star world war three press the red button yeah because women have started all the wars all but, of them uh, yeah that's, that's <laughs> my favorite thing i think it was the daily show where that guy goes and just like talks to the republicans it's yeah. like and every war has been started by and he like just puts the microphone up to someone <laughs> and they freeze and they're just like uh <laughs> well, it's like uh, cool yeah yeah just checking um but yeah so it hasn't been until basically the past 10 years where these giant fashion corporations like more the designer ones like Givenchy and oh, Chanel and all of these have been had women as the leaders of these companies but a big feminist girl boss win was when Karl Lagerfeld died rest in piss he was replaced by two women. I don't know who he is. So Carl Lagerfeld, he was the, I don't know, see, I don't know. He was basically the head honcho of Chanel, which is a very big, prominent fashion I see. brand. I, I know and, who Chanel is. Yes. And, yeah. is. <laughs> and then Chanel was founded by Coco Chanel, who is that. a woman. Yes. Um, but he was famously very misogynistic and basically just treated women like they were objects constantly spoke out about how you know no one wants to see a fat chick basically no. um no one wants a you know a, a fat model women should just be there to put clothes on he's just said a lot of horrible stuff about women throughout his entire career and when the met gala had the theme was carl lagerfeld like a tribute to him and a lot of people did a lot of things to basically dunk on him because he was also i think he said like a lot of racist stuff too he was just like a piece of shit they so often go hand in hand yeah so the fact that he was replaced by women is awesome, but I also feel like they did that on purpose because if they didn't do that, then people would absolutely continue to shit on them as a company. Mm. But still, we'll so, take we'll it. Take we'll it. take I'll it. I'll take anything. We'll take it. Good news, though. So the growth in female presence among CEOs in the apparel industry has been increasing by 95% as of 2020. We are going in the right direction, and that's a pretty good number. But like you said, it doesn't make sense for us to not have women at the top of these industries because women spend almost three times the amount of money on clothing that men do annually, which at the time of the study, which was in 2017, was over $159 billion, just women, wow. on clothing. 4.8%. I was right. <laughs> Basically, that's it. I mean, for fashion, it's just it's like any industry. Even if it is female-dominated, it's still something where men are at the top. Unrightfully so. Again, like we're talking about like the quote unquote lower level jobs in fashion. As far as the factory workers in the garment sectors, it's overwhelmingly women. In general, if like textiles and manufacturing of garments is pretty even, there is 91 million workers globally in the garment sectors and 50 million of those are women. So almost half uh -huh. women are a little bit more, but overwhelmingly as far as people that are actually, like, making the textiles and doing, like, what we call, like, quote-unquote sweatshop work, 80% of the people that are making the garments in these conditions are women. And for a lot of people, it's 
in certain countries, it's the only opportunities they have for a job is these type of environments. And because it is overwhelmingly dominated by women, they don't put a lot of care into these jobs. So a lot of times the working conditions are really terrible. They face a lot of harassment. They'll get fired for getting pregnant. They don't get paid well and they don't get any benefits. So any sort of like retirement, insurance, anything, any sort of benefits that usually come with employment aren't guaranteed to these sort of female-dominated areas. But for a lot of women, that's kind of their only choice. Like, they may not be able to get jobs where they live that aren't these type of jobs. These are very labor-intensive, very hard hours, very hard on the body, and they're not considered priority because they just assume men are the breadwinner, so we don't have to actually care about the jobs that we're giving to these women. It's kind of amazing that sexism transcends borders and race and is prevalent in I mean, we're going to do an episode on the few matriarchal societies there are out there. There's like a handful that we've seen in history. But even though there, it takes different forms, like we were saying, in other parts of the world, men would wear skirts. There wasn't this huge divide. We see degradation of women pretty much universally. And that's what unites us all. That will, yeah, that's, that's what will burn world, world peace is yeah. misogyny. It's, it's going to be great. It's, it's amazing, not in like a good way, but in a like, wow, how did we manage to fuck that up so badly? Well, it's because it's brute force. I feel like personally that's a lot of it. It's just men are like, I'm bigger and stronger than you and I can overtake you and I'm threatening. What are you going to do about it? And you're like, I guess nothing because you'll kill me. And I mean, you see also the most successful people in industries are often assholes, like especially in entertainment. It's like oh, God, you got yeah. there because you took advantage of people so if you were someone that is more aggressive and forceful then yeah you might rise to the top for the wrong reasons yep out of pure threat yeah um another facet of the fashion industry is retail workers so people that work in you know department stores or any sort of clothing based stores usually that is again overwhelmingly overwhelmingly populated by women and minorities are overrepresented in retail work as well so it's still more white people but again this is percentage of actual numbers versus percentage of population so um, women of color are overrepresented in retail work and because it is female dominated and people of color dominated for the most part the median earnings for a full-time year-round cashier at a retail store is 22,000 and this is in 20, 2018 so 22,109 and the average median in the year just for full-time workers in general was 42421 so half. Wow. Half the amount of the median income for retail workers, even though they're working full-time. I've worked retail. That tracks. You make minimum wage, no tips. Yep. You know, it's just another thing where if women dominate the workforce, they are going to get the shaft. They're going to get fucked over. Yeah. Our first episode was... Which it's like has twice as many listens as any other episode because it's the first one, but it has the worst audio quality, and we were all like nervous, and it's gotten so much better. But there's a camera. The information is good, though. The information is good, yeah. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. And yeah, I mean, we talked about how like with fashion, it it's like female dominated, but yet it's men in higher paid positions who are earning the most. And like with nursing, you had said that it's more female workers and yet they are still paid less. Well, I was reading that too when I was reading about this as well. It's even female dominated industries like social work, like nursing, like teaching, like fashion. It's still the same thing where men still earn more on the dollar than women do, even though women overwhelmingly. They must just work harder. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You're so lazy. (laughs) Yeah, and I was also reading that um, even in fashion schools and things like that, people going to school for fashion, it's overwhelmingly women as well. I think there was one graduating class that the program only had 58 graduates and 53 of them were women. So most of the workers in these industries in general are women. It's just the CEOs, only 14% or the higher up leadership position, 14%, even though it's something like 80% of the total people are women. 14% take up the leadership roles. It's like a, it's like a trend or something. It's like almost like Whoa. systemic Whoa. <laughs> sexism or something that trickles down to every facet of our environment. What? It's so weird. We're making the clothes and uh, we get shafted for wearing the clothes. Speaking of retail, how's that for a transition? Right. Speaking of retail, <laughs> do tell, Allison, oh, yes. about vanity sizing. Yes, yes. I wanted to talk about another way that we're shafted, which is uh, buying clothes. This is totally anecdotal, but I got most of this from a podcast, which I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was a good one. It was one of the credible ones. And if I remember, I'll link to it. And they just told a story in the beginning where oh, the woman was... She was at her house with her family. It was like a family dinner, maybe Thanksgiving, and they were just chatting. And someone said to her brothers, what do you think is the worst thing about being a man? And they thought about it, and he said, 
we have to walk to the back of the department store when we're buying clothes. And all the guys were like nodding along like, ugh. and maybe they were being glib and joking around. But I also think that men lack the introspective skills to say something like, we can't express our feelings without social judgment, which would be a better answer. And that would be kind of a fun question to ask some guys around us. Be like, what's the worst thing? What do you think? And see what they say. Because I just feel like it's going to be really stupid. And then if you ask a woman, she'd be like being afraid for my life when I get Constantly. gas at 1 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, differences. Differences. But I, I really <laughs> hope that was a joke because that's what I think. <laughs> like what you say, it's like anytime we, women talk about any sort of disparities yeah. they have, men are like, well, men don't get blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I agree with that important thing, like the child support thing. Like men are less likely to get not child support. Custodial yeah. um, rights with yes. their kids. Yeah. Right. Which is terrible because, but again, that's the patriarchy assuming that the woman is going to be a better parental figure. If you haven't personally experienced that, though, I don't know that every guy would think of that first. No. Because they're not researching this. It's not no. in their face. No. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I feel like unless you say, like, oh, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z, you're bad for women. They're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, but when you ask about... them, like, out of nowhere, like, what's the worst thing about being a man? They think about themselves and they're like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, uh nothing. To... Right, right. <laughs> uh, 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 everything's fine. <laughs> well, pull, pull your friends. If you get any good answers to that one, let us know. And by good answers, I mean hilariously bad answers. <laughs> So I'm sure you will. Yeah. But this was leading into the fact that it's very hard for women to buy clothes because our sizes are all over the place. So it's up to you if you want to show this. But for me, I can be a size zero, two, four, four petite, one or three in junior sizing, extra small, small, or medium. I have, I have clothes in all of those sizes. Yeah, and um, I have no problem. I'm a, I'm a bigger girl, but, you know, I don't give a I shit. I just don't want to put you on the spot. No, of, like, what size are you? No. It's a stupid it's, question. It's, well, and also, I feel like the sizing in general for women is stupid because yes. it's single-digit numbers or, like, They're not small. measurements. <laughs> yeah, with men's, it's, like, 33 and seam, yeah, 34 ways. 32, 30, and you're like, okay, I get it because those are measurements. I know. I don't even know my inseam. I, well, one thing, I don't wear pants. I wear leggings and skirts and things, preferably with pockets, but even when I did, like, they mostly don't have an inseam on them. There's no measurement right i have no idea what my enzyme is i did at one point just because like acting stuff and costumes right, and sure et yeah even, for that one reason <laughs> right like when i you know modeling stuff or whatever but otherwise no but same thing it's i can wear as small as an eight or some of my clothes is a 12 yeah for the most part it's Range. roughly that but same thing it's like i have shirts that are smalls and i have shirts that are extra large i have basically the entire array because for some things, if it's, you know, from China, it's Xi'an, I have to mm-hmm. get, like, an extra large because there's no food oh, yeah. space. Yep. But here in America, that's usually more bigger in the top in general. So I can wear a small shirt and it'll be fine. Or if it's supposed to be tight fitting and it's stretchy, definitely do a small. But it's all over the place. And I think there was one meme where this girl was showing, like, all of her pants and it's like, this one's a two, this one's a four, this one's an eight, this one's a this, this one's a that. Like, it just depends on the brand, where the brand's located. Because I feel in Europe, their sizing also, they're just more strict, is my assumption. Just because I feel like it's more of an ideal of what, because they use models, like for high-end stuff. I got I got notes. I got a t-shirt oh, yeah. for you. Yes, yeah. tell me. <laughs> Pre-Civil War, clothes were made at home or by a tailor. And then during the war, they needed uniforms, which makes sense. So uh-huh. mass production of clothes and standardized sizing became a thing for for men, obviously. <laughs> of course. In the 1920s, women's clothes were starting to be mass produced. But that was, I mean, that, that makes sense. I was thinking it's like the roaring 20s. There was some affluence and people were buying more. And now we're ordering clothes. It seemed like ordering clothes was originally a male order thing. And... They weren't fitted to people individually. There wasn't really sizing. Like, you would get something and it would just be, like, a bag. So, not the best system yet. I guess you could tailor it. Yes, yes, yeah. And tailoring was still around and way more popular than it is today. But around 1950, the Mail Order Association of America, which clearly has been replaced by the uh, internet, but used to be a thing, (laughs) and the National Bureau of Standards organized a survey where they polled about 16,000 women to figure out what sizing is. They wanted to know, like, what size are you guys? And they also used data from the World War II Women's Army Corps to come up with some sort of standardization, but they were primarily polling young Caucasian women. So it's a pretty incomplete subset of the entirety of women in America. Patterns that you buy are still using this original sizing standard, by the way. If you go to like a fabric shop or 
craft stores. My mom used to buy patterns. They're really cool, actually. Like the looking at the images and then picturing sewing all the pieces together. I would love to sew and like make my own clothes. That would be so sick. Oh man, I'm so not DIY. I want no. things given to me. Agreed, but it would be sick. It would be. I would love to like design. I feel like that... I just more want to design my clothes yes, and then have someone else make it. That for is me. also what I would like. Yep. <laughs> um, but patterns still use this very silly sizing from the 50s. Not surprised there. Yeah. Racism as well as sexism. Yeah. America. That's America. America. <laughs> that's our that's our subtitle. Racism and sexism. After we got that data and we had the standardized sizing, then we started seeing brands want to make people feel good about buying their clothes. So women don't want a larger size. This is where this is what's called vanity sizing, or some people call it insanity sizing, <laughs> hilariously. <laughs> Um, and it's where a brand is saying, well, I know women will feel better if she's really an eight, but she buys a six from us and she's like, oh, I'm wearing a six. Like I'm more likely to buy from that brand. And that became such a trend that a size eight in the 1950s became a size four in the 1970s and a size double zero now. And that doesn't really track with the way humans are growing. So according from a study from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, in 1960, the average weight was 140 pounds. And then in 2014, the average weight for women is 168.5 pounds. And the average height has gone up by an inch as well. So humans are just getting bigger. We are. And also our food is less nutritious and more delicious. This was a tangent, but like I read this in National Geographic that... Multiple references have shown that fruits, vegetables, and grains grown today have less protein, calcium, phosphorus, iron, riboflavin, vitamin C than those that were grown decades ago. So our yeah. food is literally less good for us. And also processed food is now a thing. Like we are eating more fast food and tasty foods that are yeah, very higher, bad. Higher sodium so that they keep longer and so it's taste not, better. Yeah, but it's not like, oh, like women just used to be better shape and working out more and more self-control. Like our food has changed. Everyone's food has changed. Yeah. And women have more fat than men do. Like we have more fat cells in our body that that's just how our bodies are, too. So we're more likely to be have more fat areas and our bodies are meant to they're they have more shapes in different places, too. But now designers will use a fit model, which represents a company's what they consider their average size. And it's usually a size eight. But in fact, the average size in America is more like a 14. But again, those numbers are pretty arbitrary. Right. But designers and they they tend to shape their clothes for smaller sizes and then scale up. For like, oh, it's going to get a little longer and a little wider. Yeah, which doesn't work It either. doesn't work. Because if you think about <laughs> runway models, and again, this is not body shame by any stretch of the imagination, but in general, runway models are very slender. They have like less curves or usually more straight because the point of a fashion model is to like show off the clothes, right? So they just want them to be a tiny size to show them off. So you're a hanger. You're a I didn't want to say that, but yes, oh. Carl Lagerfeld <laughs> did basically say runway models are basically just human clothing hangers. But yeah, it's like they just get them like longer, wider, this or that. And it's not accounting for things like breast size or hips or curves or this or that. And I feel I'm sure a lot of it has to do with male centricity, too, where they don't think about things like breast size and hips and butts and how our body changes and if you're pregnant or et cetera. Yeah. And maybe the fact that uh, most of the people who have positions of authorities in fashion are not female. What? Huh. Did we talk about that? (laughs) I I don't remember. It's all a blur. I'm drunk right now. Um, God, I wish. Yeah. No, I had a friend, just a quick antidote, where in high school she would do that. She was very, like, she was super in shape. She was on the dance team. She worked out. Like, she was a very fit girl, but she wore, like, a size eight. But she would not buy anything above a six. She would, all Mm. her clothes were fours or sixes because she was determined, because she did modeling as well, that she was determined. She was like, I can't be bigger than a four because... That's like the biggest you can be as like a model, quote unquote. And it would just cut into her. And it's just like, just wear clothes that fit, girl. I know. Like, you're beautiful. Just wear clothes that fit you. No one's looking at your pants. <laughs> like, no one's like, excuse me. Yeah. Turn out that tag. I want to see what number's inside. Just lie when you fill out your paperwork. They don't need to okay. know. Yeah. And they don't know Shrug. anyway. Again, like we talked about, dudes Those... think anything over 120 pounds is huge. <laughs> it's like, again, I'm 5'9". If I weighed 120 pounds, I would be dead. <laughs> yeah. That's just not how bodies work. But you mentioned European standards, and Spain actually became the first country in 2006 to enforce a ban on excessively thin models. 
So that was really cool. And yeah, the Spanish Association, there's a Spanish, there's a Spanish Association of fan, Fashion Designers. That's a lot of like S's and H's to yes, say in is. there. That's a lot of S sounds. But they turned away underweight models who had a BMI of less than 18 at Madrid Fashion. I don't know what, I, I we did talk about BMI being BS. Yeah, BMI is bullshit because, again, like I said, women have more fat as well that they don't take into consideration. And it was based on Northern and Western Caucasian men. So in multiple ways, that is inaccurate but i understand what they're trying to do just again the system of bmi is bullshit continue yes uh france israel and italy also passed formal legislation to prohibit underweight models and denmark has a fashion ethical charter which is about the treatment of models so they must arrange an annual medical check for all models under the age of 25 provide healthy food at photo shoots and events and give their models a wage because a lot of models work for copy credit meals. Uh, yeah. I hate the entertainment industry and so much. There is more of a push in Europe for standardized sizing as well. I don't think it's completely solved there, but... They're working they're on they're it. They're working on it, which is great. What you're telling me is that they're doing better than we are, as per usual. As per usual. Great. Awesome. Um, when we were talking about designers having a fit model that represents the company's average size, I remembered that I've also read that the like bras used to be based off of one woman. But that was very original bras where like we had one woman who came in who was the average, and then we made bras based off of that but as you all know breast shapes they point in different directions they sag in different ways now we have balconettes and we have the different cuts of bras but there's one version of woman out there guys and i hope it's you because if not you're fucked i am not surprised by this in the, <laughs> the least but it's every time my jaw still just drops like are you fucking you couldn't even get a sample size i know i know but you can't even get like 15 women <laughs> i mean well, until the 40s you were in prison for wearing pants so like it's been rough um but it's just not a good idea like companies lose a lot of money with returns especially with online products because it's so hard to buy things because you have no idea what size you are no so that's why it is good to know your your measurements, measurements though, yeah. because i will use that a lot of times and for the most part it has helped me. Yes. We're, they're making more of an effort for that. And there's also like 3D scans now that you can do that I didn't get too much into like the way technology is evolving. But now there is AI that will scan your body and help you figure out what clothes you should buy. So that's interesting. That sounds complicated. Just know your yeah. measurements. Just know your bust, waist, <laughs> and hips, people. But mattresses are standard size. There is a full size. There is a queen size. It is not crazy to think that clothing could be standard in size as well. Right. Or just... Have it like men's clothing. Just use it just, by numbers. Just numbers, right. Just by right. actual numbers. Yeah. So something that we talk about clothing, and I feel like some people think it's a little bit arbitrary, but the way we dress does have real-life consequences. So in multiple countries around the world, there are laws, laws, enforced laws that dictate women's clothing. Most of the time, this is based on religious clothing. So in Europe, there's more anti-religion clothing laws. So there's things against women wearing, like, hijabs and niqabs and burqas and things like that and then in other countries there's laws of modesty um, usually again religious based where if you don't wear coverings on your head or covering certain parts of your bodies you can get in trouble as well and it's not even just getting in trouble with the law a lot of times these have real life consequences of women being harassed assaulted and even murdered so these types of things when we talk about dress it seems silly but there's real life consequences where women can quite literally die and a lot of times these are from strangers. I saw some things that were, there was a woman in Canada that spit and hit a Muslim woman with her car. Wow. Over what she was wearing. Other places you can get killed if you show too much. So our bodies are constantly policed, even in the setting of clothing. There was something I looked up that I thought was an interesting thing that I guess I never really thought about, but it's something called the skin gap, which I don't like that term. It sounds a little, gross. A little creepy. It sounds anatomical a little bit. But the definition is there's a difference in the amount of skin that men and women are expected to show in the same social setting. The term was coined in 2016 by Allison Josephs. Josephs observed that in Western culture in 2016, women were generally expected to wear less clothing than men. Which is true if you think about it. I Bathing mean, suits or yeah. dresses in the summer. Yep. It's like shorts. you have short. Yeah, you have short. Sh your shorts are shorter. Your dresses, you have to, you know, have above the knee. You usually don't have sleeves. It's the expectation that you should be showing more skin, especially, like she said, in Western culture, which makes it hard for people that are maybe more religious to obtain more, quote unquote, modest clothing. But they believe that this has contributed to 
cosmetic surgery and body dissatisfaction with women and having to feel like they have to appeal to a certain standard because we're expected to show more of ourselves than men are. Yeah, today at one of my jobs, a coworker was like, oh, this lady who's in the neighborhood just dropped off this brochure and showed it to me. And it was like, it was facials and skin rejuvenation. I just kind of rolled my eyes at it. It was like, yeah, that's all to cater to our insecurity and to make us feel like we need to do this to feel good. And he was like, I never thought about that before. Oh my, of course you didn't. I know the number of times I need to start writing them down. I've said things like this and then literally say, I have never thought about it because they don't need to because it doesn't apply to them. And unless we say things like this to them, they won't think about it. And then he looked through the brochure and he was like, this is really expensive. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah. The thing is, it's like, that's the expectation is like, we're expected to be perfect at all times, like aesthetically. Yeah. And they don't understand all the things that go into it and how expensive it is. And just, they, they, but then it's considered frivolous. And then if we don't do it, we're disgusting slops. The meme that's like, men, you should pay for drinks on the date because of how much money I spent to be here because I paid for waxing and my expensive haircut and and maybe makeup. Got my hair colored and my makeup. Makeup's and expensive. My accessories and my jewelry. Right. If I came in what I wanted to wear, which is like sweatpants and a cozy sweater, you would be pissed. No, and I mean, it's not, again, it's not that we really even do have to do this. It's just that the cultural norm has taught us that we do. And then the expectation has shifted that to expect that. And I don't even think that every guy would be pissed about that. I think some would be like, yeah, cool, whatever. I'm just so lucky that a woman is giving me attention. I think generally guys are just happy that we showed up and sometimes we're just like willing to touch their peepee and that's all they need but yeah we our, our value is intrinsically tied to yeah. how we look even in professional yes. settings too there's tons oh, yeah. of stats that show women who quote-unquote dress better and this is in quotes are usually paid better oh yeah definitely in the workforce you better wear a really nice pantsuit or dress pencil skirt yep. situation with yeah. heels oh yeah have to have heels have Got to make it. you super uncomfortable and have your ankles roll and hurt your body Great calves, though. It's really good workout for your calves. You get sick calves. Well, this one was kind of a downer overall, but I think we'll find something more fun and upbeat for next week and good education. Yeah. And again, those are just talking points to think about as well. When we do feel kind of shitty and we don't really know why, it's it's systemic. Yes. There's a lot of factors going on and it's not you. It's the world. And it's also things to throw in people's faces when they try to tell you, uh, actually, and, and say, well, actually. The citations, by the way, are a Google search away. Like, we're happy to post things. But literally, if you just Google, like, are there more female CEOs or male in fashion? There's always a a, laundry list. Yes, yes. It's so easy to fact check this. And it's so much easier to argue with men who are supposedly logic So logical. Yeah, if you can point to a study. So throw those facts in people's faces. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I am Xandris Memes on Instagram. And I am TXGothGF. And we are SadGap.Podcast. Yes. That's good. Yes. I felt good about that one. Good. Women deserve pockets and... We're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Adios.